Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. We'll be reading Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, but uh, since this is a standalone uh, text and we're just coming to it kind of blank, I want to give you a little contact also from last week. I also encourage you to keep your Bibles out as we're going through this. Last week, we re- the sermon was really kind of a big picture. Uh, God created the world. There was uh, creation. And then there was the, the tragic fall and sin uh, corrupted us. It corrupted the world. Uh, it showed that man had the absolute inability to reconcile himself to God. But God brought the kingdom into this world through his son, Jesus Christ. Um, but it surprised all of us, and it still surprises us, us today, because it doesn't look anything like what we expect of a kingdom. But we learned last week that that's good. It's good, because if Jesus had come back in the fullness of the kingdom, he would have came also with judgment. Because in the kingdom of God, no darkness can dwell at all. And how many of us have loved ones uh, that right now, if Christ was to return now, it would be horrific for them. So you, you kind of plead for the mercy and the patience of God until these loved ones can come to faith in them. So we, we learn that this is the age of the church. The kingdom is here, but it, it looks like the age of the church where the preaching of the word goes forth and the mission is to save souls because we know that the kingdom is going to return. And when it returns, it returns in, in judgment, which is bad for them, but great for us. We are liberated from our own sin, from the darkness of the world, and, and God makes all things new and even raises up uh, perfect bodies that we will have forever. So, that, so that's the, uh, what we talked about last week. We're going to narrow in on that age of the church. If we're in the age of the church in this big story that's un, being unraveled, what does the church do? What are some dangers of the church? How does the church stay healthy? How do we walk in a way that's worthy of God? So our passage today addresses that in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 16. Hear now the word of the Lord. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called, to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, that's Jesus, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does that mean? but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended, who went up far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body is joined together and held together by every joint with which it is is equipped. With each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that builds up into love. Before I even start, something really stood out to me, and it's divine that God put that here. Uh, The scripture, as we saw last week, has some heavy things to say. And I don't know if you've ever been in this situation where you find a truth, It might be a truth about something that's really dangerous for you or something people need to know about or something you're really excited about. And when you share that truth, you can kind of be blunt. You got to see this. You got to see this. Why don't you see this? Why aren't you following this? And sometimes we can have a heart of love, but we can lack 
a delivery of love. And I think that's why even Paul has this in here. He says, as the body's growing up and it's learning these things, he says in verse 15, speaking the truth in love. So truth's coming at us. That's, that's what preaching is, but it comes at us in love. And I just want to just pause for a second and say, this morning, here's the great biblical story. He sees you. God sees you. God knows you. He created each and every single one of you in your mother's womb. If you are in Christ, he chose you before the foundation of the world, before your parents ever knew whether they're going to have one boy, one girl, four kids, whatever. They, he knew. He knows every hair on your head. He knows your sorrows, even right now, even when it's silent. When people say, I don't hear God, I don't see God. Well, he hears you and he sees you. He hears you and he sees you and he loves you. And he's sovereign over all things. Therefore, we can trust that this message is, is a message he has for you. This place and this season is the season and place he has for you. Let us not deny that everything God does, even sometimes when it's painful, is in love. Now, why, do I, why is it really important that, that we also just reemphasize that? Um, quick story. We do movie nights at my house, and um, I watch, I pick, Dad gets to pick a lot of times, and I picked this movie. It had a Bible kind of gospel story to it. It was one of those movies. And the next day we're riding in the car and I asked my boys that are in the truck with me. I said, what'd you guys think about that movie? And my son, Luke, uh, he says, okay, I like the gospel and all, but on a movie night, <laughs> I, I, I don't know what that kid, he's got a sense of humor. He's back there. He's just, he's hilarious. And it's funny, but don't we also say like, I like Jesus and all. I, I like the truth. But you don't expect me to organize my whole life around it. You don't actually accept me to really believe it and live after it and trust in it, do you? I mean, come on. This is my life. Yes. Yes, he does. He expects us to, to, to hold on to it even when it's, when it's hard. Look at that chapter. It says, verse 4, Paul starts out, I therefore. That word therefore is a, a transition word, uh, meaning it's, it's, he's changing to a different subject, but it's also a um, purpose word. He's saying, I've just declared to you some reality, and therefore, this is the right response. Therefore, this is the right response. There's, there's something that came before it and a reason, and therefore, it requires this response. If my boys, if I hear them start crying, I run upstairs and I say, what's wrong? He hit me. I say, why'd you hit him? He hit me because he did this. Or I hit him because he punched me first. There's always a therefore. There's a grounds. Now that is a, a silly and bad response. But the Bible right here gives us a very serious and good response. It gives us a very serious uh, response um, in, in this, God has done something very serious, but very good. Therefore, we need to respond accordingly. Here, here's what God has done. He created the world, and Satan came in, and Satan destroyed it. You know what arson is like? You ever seen arson committed like on a big scale, and they had the news, and, and somebody lit an entire building on fire, and it's just destroyed, and there's just... Uh, in the morning, they show the news helicopter footage flying around and all the crews are on the ground and they're surrounding and smoke's still coming up and firemen are still putting up. What, what once used to be beauty is now ashes. And that's really what Satan did in the garden when he came in and he caused, he deceived Adam and Eve and caused them to sin and turn their backs on God. He, he created a wreckage and a ruin. This morning, I was walking in my office and there's a, a, a homeless person in my office, and I have an office here in Coronado, sleeping on the ground at 5 o'clock in the morning. Just there, a young lady, too, a young lady. So I wake her up, see if she wants to use the bathroom. I give her a little, little something to grab something to eat, and just broken. The other day, last week, it was so, uh, yesterday, I was driving my car, and from me, I saw somebody hitting something behind them. Repeatedly hitting something, and I'm just, I'm getting closer. I wear glasses, I don't have glasses on, so anything past 25 feet, it's kind of blurry. This person was hitting something, and I, all I could think of, maybe the kids, by the time I could think, I turned around, and I followed them, they got on the highway, and I, I hit the red light. I couldn't, what if it was a child? I mean, that stuff really happens. 
The world is really in ruins. There's really sin and cancer and brokenness. This is the, the real reality. But here's what God does. God breaks through, through his son, Jesus Christ. This is amazing. Here comes the rescue. Here, the rescue crew. Here comes the cleanup crew. But it's a rescue mission of one. There's only one person standing there, and it's Christ Jesus outside the ruins. And what he does is he starts working. He starts organizing. He starts uh, pouring out his love and his spirit. And as a craftsman, what does he do? Out of these ruins, he makes a beautiful church. He makes a church. He grabs these ruins. You know what these ruins are? They're not bricks. They're not pieces of wood. They're souls. Paul even talks about in here, Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Me and you were ruined. You were darkened in your understanding. We were alienated from the life of God and we were children of wrath. The smoke still billowed from us. And yet Christ comes in and he, he, he makes us new and he, and he takes people that are rich and he takes people that are poor and he takes people that are black and people that are white and he takes the, the intelligent and the unintelligent and he, and he grabs and he forms them into this beautiful church. In uh, Ephesians chapter 2, that's what he's explaining that he does. In verse 15, he said he, he's making a new man out of the two. He's making peace. He's reconciling them, siling them through, uh, through his own body. And it culminates in the last verse of chapter 2. He says, in him you are a dwelling, uh, being built together as a dwelling place for the Spirit of God. And it's a beautiful building. building. When I go on uh, uh, road trips, they have those hotel apps where you, can, you don't get to see exactly the name of the hotel or what kind, but you get star ratings. And you can say what kind of stars you're willing to sleep in. You know, as I get older, my, my star level goes up. You know, I'm at like three. You know, sometimes we'll splurge three and a half star. Jesus only stays in the best. Five star Michelin. He's creating out of us a beautiful church. He's sanctifying us. Paul said, or Peter in 1 Peter, this is all over the Gospels. I want you to see this. 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, you are living stones being built together into the house of God. And Christ is the cornerstone. In this sermon, during, as I talk, I want you to think at two levels. We have the whole church, which is all the elect, all the children of God, that put their faith in Christ Jesus, repent of their sins. We are all one and we worship at different places and different churches and uh, even different denominations. But what Paul's talking about here is the church in Ephesus, that one body. I want you to be thinking if Grand Memorial is your home church, I want you to be thinking about people that live here, your pastors, your elders, your, uh, your friends. I want you to be thinking like if you walk by the Dell, they have that sand castle. That guy that makes the sandcastles, and they're just gorgeous. They're amazing. The, the architecture and the detail of the, the windows and the windowsills and the, the steps, they're, they're amazing. And that is what Christ has built, but ten times that. But we share a commonality. Grand Memorial Church and any other church shares a commonality with that sandcastle. We are fragile. We are fragile because we're, we're still sinners. We're still sinners and we're still broken. But he builds it by the word and by the truth. So that, that's what we are. we are. We are a church. And that's why Paul is going to say, therefore, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of him. One thing I, I want us to see, and I want to pause here again before going further. We are in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6, there's going to be a ton of commands. I want you to do this, this, this. I want you to treat your wife like this. I want you to treat your bosses like this. I want you to treat your elders like this. This is how you live in your public life and also even your private life behind closed doors. This is how you live. Lots of this, this, this. But you have to realize this, therefore, is a transition from Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, which all it does, there's no commands in there except one. The only command in there is to chapter 2, verse 1, remember how awful you were. Remember when the smoke still came off of you because you were ruined. Chapter 1, 2, and 3 is the story of the gospel, what Jesus Christ has done. Before the foundations of the world, he chose you. God chose you out of grace through faith alone 
to glory alone. Chapter 1, it, it, it says he's done all this and it tells us why God has done all this in us to the praise of his glory. And chapter 1, 2, and 3 is it's laying the foundation of this house, of this church, and the foundation has nothing to do with you or me. It has to do with Christ coming, living a perfect life, dying the death you and I deserved, and dying, God raised him, him ascending on high, and that good news being spread to all, and us being recipients of that. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, which means you, you have no stock in this house except that you were inherited. It's part of your inheritance. You were brought in. We have to get that. A lot of churches jump to chapter 4. Do, 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 do. But Paul is very clear. Don't move past chapters 1, 2, and 3, the gospel, before you, under, before you start doing. So we have to understand all this has been done. Again, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. The church is built on the apostles and prophets on their teaching. So I want us to feel the weight of this is the house of God, Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church. The future, if you are a member here, you have responsibility. There is weight on you to keep this house together. Uh, we see this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. He says, lay aside every weight and sin that clings to us and let us run with endurance, keeping our eye on Jesus. Ephesians 5.15 says, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, for the days are evil. Saints, there's things you need to know, otherwise this church, this particular body of Jesus Christ is going to blow up. And this is a message that can be preached here and on every church on any block in the whole world. Every church has the responsibility to keep this up. So here's my outline. I snuck in an entire point in there in the beginning. So we're still at three points. Two dangers, one provision. Two dangers to this church that are going to ruin this church. And one provision of the many provisions that Jesus has given us. And one very particular important to you. So the first danger to the church of Christ, the first thing that will destroy the church of Christ is me. When I say me, I also mean you. We can destroy this church. Paul, in Romans chapter 4, after he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, what does he say in verse 2? He says, come on, guys, you, you have to live with all humility and gentleness and patience, and you have to bear with one another in love. He, he's going right at the heart of our struggle. He's pointing out, saying, he's saying, first, let's get this. You could blow this thing up. Here, here's a newsflash for you as we look around. And this will help us how we feel. Oftentimes the church is uh, given the title of you think you're good doers. You think you're so smart. I want you to know that Christ did not build his church with the cream of the crop. He just did not. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, do not think too highly of yourself. I think Pastor Keith preached on that. Look at this, Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus is, it starts to pray to the Father after he's been preaching. He says, Heavenly Father, I praise you, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things, these truths, from the wise and those with understanding, and you have revealed them to little children. It's not to the intelligent and the smart and the, these people. This is also in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. The church of Corinth, they were, they were, they were vying for power and authority and, and who, who's awesome. And listen to what Paul says to them. Have you guys taken a second to consider and look around? This is what Paul says to the church in Corinth, and I think we can say here in any church. He says, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to the worldly storage. Not many of you are powerful. Not many of you are noble birth. But God chose what is the weak things of the world to put to shame the wise things of the world. He has built this five-star hotel using really faulty material, you and I. And we need to be humbled by it. And the things that get in the way, uh, we have the opportunity to destroy it. Greatest illustration, family road trip. You can have all the plans. You can have all the events. Mom could have packed all the snacks, even bought cards and uh, fun things to do on the road. But the two siblings in the back fighting against each other, 
give me five minutes and half our trip up to the Bay Area last week, I was on the side of the road outside off the highway, marching up and down, and mom's yelling and kids are fighting and it's, ah, they destroyed it. Well, it can also happen in the church. It can happen in the church. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Instead of being humble, we can become prideful. This is my church. Do you know how long my family's been going to this church? These are my decorations that I put up. Do you know how much money I give to this church? You've only been here a while. You're military. You're coming and going. Well, this is my church. This is the way I like it. We can be not gentle. It's, this is the sin. We have to understand when, when, when Christ died and we put our faith in him, Romans 6, I want you to read Romans 6 this week. It says, we died with Christ and our old man was crucified with him, right? Our old man, that, that, that sinful nature that uh, Paul talked about in Ephesians 2, that we were children of wrath following the nature of this world. Paul says in Romans 6, that died with Christ Jesus. You no longer have to be their slave. It's slave. You no longer have to do evil and bad and sin. Present your members as, as members to righteousness to do good. But he does say in Romans 7, and this gives us all comfort, the old man in each of us is dead, but it still remains. That's why we long for Jesus to come back and make a new, rise a new body. That battle will no, no longer be there. But until now, the things we want to do, we don't do. The things we know we shouldn't do, we do do. And so that, I, that, that even within inside me, it says, you know, be gentle. It's in us to not want to be gentle. Yesterday I had a, a, a job. My, my day job is a, a caterer, a hot dog vendor. So I had a long job yesterday. It was so hot. It was so much work. It was, and I was coming home and I was just exhausted. I didn't have the message on. I had work I needed to do at home. I called my wife on the way home. And guess what? She had an awful day too. And, and, and she took our kids to Spreckles Park and uh, one of my little minions ran into the Catholic church while they were having mass. So she wasn't doing too well either. How gentle do you think I was for her, though? What about me? You know how hard I'm working. I'm going to be standing in front of people preaching. So there was, there was some reconciliation and some humbling that had, but that gentleness was not right on the tip of my tongue when I heard that. And that happens within the church. And not patient. Paul says, be patient and bearing with one another. And that's because we're not. Saints, COVID was the litmus test for the health of the church. I pastored a church up in Palm Desert during that time. I have buddies that were pastoring churches all over the country. We, we failed greatly. Do we mask? Do we not mask? Do we meet? Do we not meet? Regardless of what point area you stand on, churches, I'm being serious, churches have been, some churches destroyed. They don't exist anymore. Or they're had, they're broken. Because they could not bear with one another in these things. It's hard. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this point that it's us that can destroy the church. Um, I will, uh, I think we all get this. Um, I, I will give this warning to us because it is very serious. Um, I grew up in the 80s, so I'm a G.I. Joe, He-Man cartoon guy, and, and I don't know which one it was, but it said uh, that saying, you may have won the battle, but you have lost the war. And so I say to you, Christian, member of this church, that is like, yeah, pastor, visiting pastor can say all he want, but this is my church. I'm going to get my way. I'm not going to be gentle. I'm not going to be patient and bearing. You may have won the war, but stand by to stand by when you face the Lord and you have to give account why the church that he built, you were trying to kick down. The lesson is God is concerned He's always concerned more with how we respond to situations and how we act in them than what we're actually trying to accomplish. Many Christians have been ran over by the bus of ministry trying to do good work. And is God glorified in that? No. Uh, if you know the, here, here's a helpful thing. If you know the goal, like we talked about last week, and you get the big picture that Jesus is not building a kingdom here on earth where the goal is to take over society and governments and build a physical footprint here on this earth, or you know the goal is not to build your own kingdom, but you know the goal is to save souls and to sinners to be sanctified through patiently enduring with one another, that will help you to be more gentle. 
A lot of times in our rush, we, we're doing it because we think this is the will of God. This is what God wants, even if I have to steamroll this person. That's not God's will. God's will is that person. Moving on, the second danger, and really central I want to talk about, is that second danger to the church that we see pointed out in here is, is bad doctrine. Bad doctrine. You'll see this in this passage here in a second, but we, we all realize God has an enemy, right? It's not an equal enemy. It's not good versus darkness. Jesus wins. N nobody's comparable to God. Satan is a creation like you and I. He has to ask God to do anything, yet God still gives him reign. And so if Satan is an enemy of his church, he's also an enemy, or is Satan an enemy of God, he's also an enemy of his church. And one of the ways that Satan loves to attack the church, and he's very successful at, is by infusing bad doctrine into a church. Because bad doctrine into a church is, is, is one of the worst things because it's like termites. You can have a beautiful house. You can have beautiful walls. You can have your Pier 1 furniture all over, your paintings all over. You can have a beautiful roof. You can have great yards in front of you. You can have flowers all over the place. Perfect furniture. But if somebody, if you have termites that have not been uh, taken care of and somebody pushes upon that house, that thing will crumble. And that's what bad doctrine, how bad doctrine brings down churches. You don't see it coming in. You don't see it happening, but it creeps in and it's there. You, you know in Revelation in the beginning where John's taken up in the heaven and Jesus has him write the, the, uh, a letter to the seven churches. These churches, he says, here's the warning. I will remove my lampstand from you, my presence from you, because you're turning away from the true doctrine either living it out or teaching it or accepting false doctrine. In. The warning is, I'll remove my lampstand. And, and when God removes his lampstand, the, the church can still stand. What was Jeremiah's problem in, in the book of Jeremiah? The people were worshiping idols. The people's uh, hearts were hard towards God, yet they still went to the temple. They still sacrificed their idols. And Jeremiah is saying, repent, repent, and turn. And the people say, Nothing bad's going to happen. Look at the temple. Look at the stones. Look how beautiful they are. And God did what? He removed his spirit. He removed his spirit. And without God's spirit, without the truth, the building might still stand, but there's no Christ in it. We've got to remember, what builds the church? Is it, is it building? Is it, is, is it stone? Ephesians 2.20 says this. God has built this church on the foundation of the apostles' and prophets. This builds a church. At one time, there was no building. But I, I, last week, I talked about in Acts how the church spreads. And I, I said, Paul went to Listeria and preached the word. He went to, uh, uh, where did he go? He went to Iconium. He went to Derby. He went to Corinth. He went to Ephesus. All these places. What did he do? He preached the gospel in the church. Was made. I have a friend here, he's actually here now. They went on a Mediterranean tour, and one of their pastors, uh, previous pastors, said, Hey, when you go to this place where Paul had planted a church, can you take some pictures? That'd be so interesting. And he came back, and we were having a study. He says, You know, I saw th this is the place where Paul planted a church, but there's no church there now. Why? Yeah, there's multiple reasons, governments, things like that. But I guarantee that one of the reasons, part of it, maybe the most prevalent, is that there was the word of God was lost. Sound doctrine was removed. People preach and they teach and the church is formed. So here's, here's the point. Uh, he, 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 Jesus has, has built this church. And this church is, is great. But there is still some refining that takes place in this church. Think about a, a construction uh, they build it, but there's always kind of refining, moving pieces, sharpening it up, you know, doing that finishing touches. There's refining, but there's also maintenance that takes place in a church, right? Things can break. Things can uh, need attending to, maintenance. So in a church building and in, in a church body and in a regular building, you have refining, you have maintenance, and then you want expansion. And this takes place by the building up of the church. Verse 13 and 14, this is what Jesus is doing. It says, 
We're building up that we are the body of Christ until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. The church, Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church, needs to continue maturing. Refining, maintenance, expansion, maturing. And when we think about growth, about growing and maturing, what do we usually think about? Numbers. What does the scripture say? Verse 14, uh, 13, it says, mature manhood to the measure and stature of Christ. Verse 13, until we have the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Maturity isn't numbers. Maturity is knowledge and faith. We want to grow deeper, some people might say. We want to be more grounded in the reality. So that is the point. So he doesn't want us to be tossed to and fro by every wave of doctrine. Listen to me, saints. Something that is not anchored will blow away. Something that is not anchored will blow away. And the church of God needs to be anchored in the doctrine of God. So that's the big picture. Is, is Satan's attacking. One of the ways he attacks is bad doctrine. And if we don't get our doctrine right, we're done. But to break this down a little bit, I think what's on a lot of our minds is what is doctrine? Pastor, what, what, what is doctrine? Well, um, for one, a lot of people don't like doctrine. You mention the word doctrine, it's like a dirty word in their mouth. Or theology. I hate that stuff. I don't want to talk doctrine. I don't want to talk. A lot of people just have a aversion to it. I don't need that. I want Jesus. I want the gospel. I want Bible. Well, saying 1 Timothy 6 uh, tells it. And I get what they're saying. They're saying, I don't want fights. I don't want fights. But listen to this. Right here it says you need good doctrine. And then in 1 Timothy 6, Paul says, Timothy, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he goes on to say, this dude understands nothing and he's a fool. So what is doctrine? Simply put, doctrine is what Jesus Christ taught. Remember at the end of Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, Jesus has already died and ascended and he's going up to reign on high, and it's the mission of the church. He says, go and make disciples, and do what? Throw a picnic for them? No, he says, teach them. Teach them. It's this teaching. It's this teaching. The words, the words create the church. Teach them. That's doctrine. Doctrines are the words that Jesus had. When Jesus was here on earth, what did he do? He taught. Why do we have four gospels? There's so many different teachings in there. Uh, John 17, when Jesus is going to the Father, uh, the night before he's betrayed, he has a great priestly prayer, John 17. And he, and he really re rehashes the whole mission. And this is one thing. He says, God, Father, exalt me with the glory that I had before the earth. Exalt me now because I've done the work that you sent me to do. And he says, he, he, he declares, what is the work that he sent what, did this, what is the work that the Father sent the Son to do? Jesus said, I gave them your word. I gave them your word. So doctrine is the, the teaching. It's not just New Testament red letter Bible stuff. We know this because in Luke, the end of that, when after Jesus had ascended, he's walking with two disciples and they don't realize it's the risen Christ. And yet Jesus opens their eyes, doesn't he? And shows who he is. And then what does it say? And then he, op he started with Moses in the Old Testament and all the Old Testament prophets, and he talked to them how it pointed to him. We don't separate the Bible into Old Testament, New Testament. The New Testament is Jesus teaching. That's we. It's all connected. It's all connected. Doctrine is the teaching of the Son and the God, of the Father and the Son, and Satan hates his church. Um, th this is Satan hates the church and will always attack it through doctrine. This has never been, it's nothing new. He uses the same tactics. I want you to get the seriousness of this because, because it's serious and it happens. Acts 20, verse 28. This is Paul's last words to the church in Ephesus, church that he poured himself out for three years. Ask Pastor Keith, something happens as a pastor. When you come and you serve a congregation, whether it's two Sundays or a month or for four years regularly, your heart is connected. You love them. Paul loves 
the church in Ephesus. And things you love, you want to take care of. Listen to what Paul says, verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Elders in this church, listen to this. To care for the church of God, which he has obtained with his own blood. He has attained this with his, it came at a price. Because here's, here's why Paul says, take care, watch, verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Listen, says, he, where, do the, where do the enemies often come from? Inside. Inside. It's all over the Bible. Paul, in uh, 1 Timothy, it's a, uh, Paul's writing from prison. He writes to Timothy, who he left in Ephesus, the pastor of that same church. He says, I told you to remain in Ephesus. You have to remain in Ephesus to charge some people to stop teaching a different doctrine. And he will go on in 1 Timothy, and uh, he'll, he'll say this. He'll say, 2 Timothy 4.3, he'll say, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, good doctrine, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off to miss. Saints, there are so many churches here uh, on, on the, in the planet, around, existing, that have the name of church, have the cross outside, call themselves the Church of Christ, and they deny Christ. They deny the doctrine. Why do they still exist? Because they love the fellowship. They love the community. They love the sense of purpose, but they don't love the message. And so they do away with the message. And people, oh, you've got to come to my church. This church is so good. And, and, and you're wondering, you know, I know your life. Why are, why are you so feeling so accepted at that church? And maybe because that church isn't preaching some of these full things. Um, I, to end, end that point that, that Satan attacks with false doctrine, and this is something regular, and it's happening today. It's common all over the place. Uh, Jude gets one book in the New Testament. One book. And then John got like five uh, Paul got like 12. Jude gets one book. And he says in Jude, and it's only one chapter, he says, I want to write to you about the common salvation that we have, the good things we have in Jesus Christ, the inheritance, the, the future resurrection of our body, the forgiveness of sins. But I have to spend my time talking to you about false teachers. And he finishes the rest of the book talking about false teachers. I, I get that it's not fun but false teaching will destroy the church. And that's why Paul in verse 14 says, we can't any longer be tossed to and fro like children. And being tossed by every wind of doctrine, every wind of teaching that is created by human cunning and, and craftiness and defeatful, deceitful schemes. Listen, look, if you visited this church or any other church and you're looking for a church, you look go to the websites, Right? Tell me the last time you look at a web, website with a, a person weeping on it, crying. No, it's families and couples holding each other, laughing, fellowship. Really? I, I get that that kind of sells and it pulls people in. But Jesus, listen, you follow me, you're going you're gonna to suffer. It's going to be hard. You must continually repent. Trials. I wish, I, wish a picture, I wish we had a picture of Paul's back after being whipped uh, five times. I wish we had that picture and we put that on the cover of a church. I'm being hyperbole here, but the point, this is, it's hard. It's hard, and that, that kind of brings me uh, to this point. I want to give four quick sub-points about doctrine. Four quick sub-points about doctrine. Number one, it's hard. It's hard. People don't like doctrine. They even are fearful of doctrine. They think, oh, that, that stuff's bad. We don't want to talk about that. Because they've been taught bad doctrine. They've been taught that all you need to do is come and hear and be fed. And the gospel is about grace and it's about love. And you're received and you're accepted. And, and that's it. And that's true, isn't it? It is. The gospel is a free gift to anybody who believes. Anybody who turns Anybody, even Paul, was an awful man before his life. 
And you can turn. And if there's anybody in here, turn. And nothing will hold you. The door is wide open. It costs nothing. Come to Christ. Drink the water that will never uh, run dry. But they forget about the therefore in Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore, because of the grace you've given, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. If the gospel was so easy, then why do we have 66 books, over 40 different authors, over 1,500 year span in three different languages? How many of you understood right off the bat, what does it mean that he descended into the lower regions of the earth and that he rose? Even Peter says of Paul, there's some things Paul writes that are hard to understand. So whoever has given you this message that following Jesus and understanding the gospel is easy, kaputs, forget about it. It, it, They're wrong. The good theology, good doctrine is hard. You need to be students of the Bible. Come regularly, learn. Um, Second, uh, there are different levels of doctrine, levels of importance. There's Bible-believing Uh, gospel-proclaiming Christians and churches all over the place that we disagree with on some doctrines. That's because there's levels. You have the essential levels. Essentials are like, is Jesus the Son of God? Are you a sinner facing God's judgment? Is Christ returning? Is salvation only possible through faith in Christ alone, by grace alone, in faith alone? These things are essential. Is God a trinity? I mean, these things are essential. You don't have this, you're not a Christian. You can call yourself whatever, separate. Then you have central things. These things are central, but they're not essential. This is like baptism. We differ from our Baptist brothers that are worshiping right now down the street and over here on the left. They, they, they might cause us to worship in different locations, but we love them. They love us. We are a body of Christ. And we're both convinced of what we believe. And maybe church organization. There's some things that are central but separate. Then you have minimal things. Even these are things that you might differ on doctrine, but you can worship in the same church. End time things. Uh, Spiritual gifts. Do some of them continue? Do some of them not? These are things that it's okay. You can fight over coffee in in a cheerful, fun way. This is okay. So there's different levels of them. And different people put things at different levels. And it takes understanding doctrine and growing in doctrine to know what's right. Um, everybody has doctrine. The fourth little subpoint: everybody has doctrine. Non-national churches have as much doctrine as we have doctrine. We are part of the, even the PCUSA has an essential doctrine, the Westminster Confession of Faith. 33 chapters talking about what does the Bible teach about sin? What do we, how do we interpret these things? Because they wanted to rightfully so get on the same page. What do we believe that the, and this was written almost 500 years ago. If God's word has it changed, then changed, then why would our beliefs of it change? Presbyterians are known for being intense. and We just wrote it down. So there's no questions because in a non-denominational church, often it can change. And I'm not putting down non-denominational churches. I'm saying it can often change with the pastor. Here's what I want you to really realize. Everybody has doctrine, whether they know it or not. They have a view about God, Jesus, salvation, what we should do on this earth. So there's the four subpoints, uh, different levels. It's hard. Everybody has doctrine. And, uh, final, Jesus. Um, doctrine divides. Doctrine does divide. Oftentimes, people and other people will come and they will say, they will even read this passage that I wrote earlier, that read earlier in Ephesians. It says, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And what they mean by that is the most important thing is that we love each other and we get along. No, it's not. No, no, it's not. If loving somebody else means you're denied the essential truths of the gospel, that, that is not what it means. He, because they are looking for the unity of man. They're looking for the, they are putting unity and love at the top end. And he doesn't say, I pray for you to be united, just blank. He says unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. What is the Holy Spirit? He's the one that teaches us these things. He's the one that inspired all the writers to write down the doctrine of God. He's the one whom you came to faith through the gospel. He's the one that declares who the Son of God is, where, how salvation is received. The Spirit is the 
spirit of truth and the bond of peace is the gospel. So he's saying, I want you to be united in this truth, in these things we believe. That's why he goes on and he says, there's one Lord, there's one body, there's one faith, there's one Jesus, uh, there's one baptism, and there's one God and Father of all. And when I say one, 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 when Paul says one, 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 he means there's not many. There's not many. There is a truth. And that's why he says, I want you guys to grow up into mature manhood where you are united in these truths. Not united as we all get along, but united in these truths so that you're not tossed to and fro by things. We are united. Just to reiterate this, because this is hard. It's hard for me. It's hard to preach a message like this. Being a pastor is hard because it doesn't feel good to say there's some churches that are wrong. Nobody likes that, or that theology is wrong. That, who are you to say, well, I'm not me. I'm just saying this is, this is what this is. That is not a message that is fun to preach, but especially in a society that has been taught that Jesus is only love and he's only grace and everybody's in and everybody's good. Jesus' own words in Matthew 10, 34. Jesus' own words. Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. He says, people that follow after me, the gospel is going to divide father from mother, brother from sister, husband from wife at times. Doctrine divides at times. The point isn't to dumb down our doctrine and say, well, actually, that's not important as long as we love each other. Listen, Jesus died at the end of his life. Why do we think that we as Christians, there's only 120 people that were with Jesus after, in the upper room after he died. His ministry wasn't fruitful. It wasn't a great message that people loved. But it's truth. And so he gathers his church. I want to conclude with this last, last point. Uh, here's the provision that he's given us. You'll see in verses uh, 8 through 10, he talks about Christ going on high, but he gave gifts to men. It's the picture of a Roman conqueror, a guy who came out and just walloped all of his enemies and his kingdoms, and he took spoils for himself. And he took spoils, but they're in a faraway land, and so they come home, and, and, and what does he do? All the people of his kingdom rise, and they line the streets, and it's a parade, and he takes those spoils, and he, and he gives it to the people to sustain the people, to bless the people. Well, here's the picture that Paul paints for us. When Jesus conquered his enemy here on the earth and he ascended on high, the city on high, after he created this church, he gave provision to this church to keep it. He died, with, he purchased it with his blood. He cares about it. So he didn't leave it as orphans. What did he give? Verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. All ministers of the word. I hope you see this theme coming from hopefully every sermon ever, that the Word is all we have. The Word creates the church. So the prophets and the apostles, or the, the apostles and the prophets laid the foundation. God divinely inspired them and they laid the foundation. The evangelists go to places where it's, the Word is not proclaimed and they preach the, the Word. And as people hear in that a new little sandcastle, a new little church is built up, then God is faithful to give a shepherd to that church. And that's why this is so prominent, important for this church. As you transition from one shepherd to the next, you need to be praying for the right shepherd. The right shepherd that's going to do what this text says is necessary for the body. The shepherds that equip the saints for the work of the ministry. The shepherd doesn't do all the work. The shepherd teaches you and equips you so that you can be doing the work. Because he gave each one of us a grace, verse 7 shows. And so get this picture of um, just this. The picture that he points out is immaturity, childness, and a mature man. Uh, at my job yesterday, it was a, it was a graduation party slash send-off party for these, these high school boys that are going off to college. And they're going off to play uh, college football. And so half the team was there. And these guys were big. 18 years old. I mean, their, body, their muscles were just, this was a football team. They could toss me around. I got them by 22 years. But these guys were tough. And they were, they were funny. They were hilarious. I mean, the jokes, I didn't get half of them because it's just, and, but you know what? As tough and big as they were, and I just 
picture my boys that are like between the ages of 5 and 12 maturing to that, I, I still saw immaturity. And not immaturity like, oh, putting them down, but just there's so much more growth. You could see it in their faces. They still had young man faces. And they're going off to college, and some of them aren't mature. So when they get to college, I just know statistically some of them are going to get wrecked by waves of doctrine that pound us, by philosophies, by life, by enticements. They're not mature. It is the pastor's job to equip the saints, not to do all of it, but so that you guys can mature. I, I, I thought of some examples in here. My brother right here gives out socks uh, to the homeless, and he, he cares for He's using his gifts. And, and where's Amanda? She left. That's good, because I'm going to use her as an illustration. Amanda grabbed onto my wife like after we'd moved here a year ago, or three years ago, after we'd been here a week. And she gathered these women together for a Bible study that still goes on. And some of you are constantly doing prayer walks and praying for one another and serving the church. And our brother here has been playing music for seven years, serving. Now, here's some things about work and kingdom work and this kind of work. It's not just a Sunday thing, and it's not exactly what you do, but why you do it. Are you trying to build up the kingdom? The things that you're doing, is it kingdom-minded? Is it kingdom-minded? And that's how he says the whole body joined together every joint working with which it's equipped. Every one of you has been given a grace and you don't need to spend time thinking about it, praying about it. God, please show me. I don't know. it. Just do and you will discover it. You will discover it, what you like and what you do. And when these things work up, we grow and we're built up into love. And that is the way that we keep the lights on. In other words, keep this a gospel preaching church and we don't become just ruins just an old church driving down uh, by the ballpark in downtown San Diego and there's this old, little old steeple and it kind of has the same colors of this building but it's like a miniature scale and it says the church is open again and they turned it into a brewery don't let that be said about Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church it's not a given that we will maintain being a gospel preaching church. We need to find a pastor that can come and preach and he can equip the saints so that the lights stay on and we operate as a church. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. Pastoral charge is this. It comes from Matthew where Jesus says, he who hears my words and believes in them and does them is like a man who built his house upon the rock. When the waves came and the winds blew and the, the downpour hit, his house did not fall because it was built upon a rock. But he who hears my words and does not obey them is foolish. It's like a man who builds his house upon the sand and when the waves come and the winds blow, great is the fall. The words of Christ are a sure foundation it will stand no matter what.